Okay, we're going to jump into the message. One of the things that we've been doing through the series, Songs of Jesus, looking at the book of Psalms, is a chance for us as a body to sit and read the psalm together. So I'm going to join, or let's, let's welcome Ken Strange. He is a community group leader, great member of the community. And while he's coming up, if you want to turn your Bibles to Psalm 84, that's what we're going to be reading this morning as we take a look this week. Well, good morning. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. Your soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. O Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are forever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their heart on a pilgrimage as they pass through the valley of Baca. They make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Listen to me, O God of Jacob. Look upon our shield, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tent of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun, a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk in his blame with blameless. O Lord Almighty, blessed is a man who trusts in you. Thank you, Ken. Let's give Ken a round of applause. All right. So hang right there. There's a reason I asked Ken to read that psalm. We'll get to that in just a moment. Anybody ever been away from home for a while, for an extended period of time? Maybe you're off at camp somewhere and spent a couple of weeks away and got a little homesick, or maybe you had to go somewhere for a job for a few months, or maybe even a few years or an extended period of time. I don't know if you've ever been somewhere a long way from home and you just thought, man, I'm ready to get back. I know that uh, Christina and I were uh, exiled to Missouri for a while and then over to Georgia, and uh, we missed home. Like, we just wanted to be back in Texas. The, the people, the, the folks that we could that talked like us, that ate the kind of food that we liked, all of that kind of thing, we just wanted to be back home. Well, home means something in the psalm that uh, Ken just read is a good illustration. So that's what we're going to unpack today. But Ken, I love, he and Yvette, they're great friends of ours. Uh, Ken encouraged me in a, in a men's group that we do together. And uh, they do so much for the community. But a couple months ago, we were talking about the story of uh, his son, Kennedy. And so do you mind just kind of retelling that a little bit? So you guys have had a Bible study for high school boys when he was in high school in your home, right? Yes. Every Wednesday night, our house would be full of boys just all over the place. Lots of food and lots of boys, lots of noise, lots of wrestling, lots of good stuff. So. <laughs> and in addition to all of that, you were spearheading the food and the wrestling probably, but yes. they brought somebody in to do the Bible part, right? So that you is did, correct. You didn't did do that. All yes. right. So good, but uh, I know that it meant a lot to y'all having those boys there, and y'all ministered to them. You were talking about Yvette doing some things special for them. Yes, yeah, so for graduation, Yvette got each boy a keychain 
and on the keychain were coordinates to the GPS coordinates to our house. So that's pretty cool. Um, so that they, you know, that place was was special to them. Well, that's a cool way to do it. I, I'm sure Kennedy probably thought that was a little weird. Kennedy thought it was the dumbest thing he had ever seen. So. <laughs> that's how yeah. our kids are, right? They don't always appreciate it. Maybe their friends do sometimes. But so fast forward, uh, Kennedy goes away to school, and, and then a year passes. Their daughter graduates. So now they're empty nesters, and they're, uh, we were talking about you maybe wanting to sell your house, find downsize, do something a little different. Yeah. Uh, but but that those plans changed after Kennedy showed back. They changed. We uh, we Kennedy had called to tell us something, and so Yvette was got real excited, saying we're looking at maybe selling our house and and finding some place new. And Kennedy says, uh, I have something to tell you guys. And we were like, Well, what is it? Well, he said, Well, you'll find out. So about. Five minutes later, we get this text, and it's a picture of Kennedy's leg where he had gotten the GPS coordinates to our house tattooed on his leg. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. So, their house is not on the market, uh, just in case you wanted to know. It we may, knew right then that we yeah, were not going to sell yeah, that maybe, house. Maybe. So. They may rent it and go somewhere else, but Kennedy is going to have the key whether you, if you rent it from just know. Yes. Hey, thanks for sharing that story. Thank Appreciate you. It. Yeah. <laughs> so Kennedy is a super cool kid. He went off to college and he's trying to find his way in the world. And, you know, I don't know why you guys get tattoos. I don't have time to unpack that or understand that. I know a lot of y'all do that. And he did that. Uh, but, but of all the things he could have chose, he chose the coordinates, GPS coordinates to his house because that was the place that he felt grounded. He felt safe. He felt connected. That's what home does for us in the truest and purest sense. And that's what this psalmist is getting at as he writes here in Psalm 84. See, we're at a section of the Psalms where we've been doing a lot of lament leading up to 84. So lament is this process of grieving and feeling. And Jose said that that's good. Really, what the Psalms do is they teach us to, to, to express authentically our emotions and connect with those. Because when we connect with our emotions, we connect with our heart. And in our heart, then all of a sudden, we get this deeper connection with the Lord and his peace and his presence. And that's what the Psalms allow us to do. So there's been a lot of lament and hurt and sadness over exile and being away from God. And it shifts here in 84. Charles Spurgeon said that this is the sweetest psalm because it's the shift to where now we're going to start looking at this process of worshiping God and connecting with him and away from lament and being excited to be in his presence. So that's what's happening in this psalm, this idea that there is a connection, a presence of the Lord, a home that we need to be to. And it's going to take a pilgrimage to get ourselves there. So we're going to unpack that. With the thought in mind that at the end, we'll come back around to the three points that we've tried to be consistent in every message. And that is that in this psalm, we're going to learn something about God. And in this psalm, we're going to learn something about ourselves. And then hopefully uh, with those two in mind, we're going to think of a way to do something different in our life or apply what we're learning. Those are the three things we'll conclude with. But let's kind of go a little at a time. Psalm 84 verses 1 and 2 say, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty, my Soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Back when this was written in time, the Old Testament is in this system 
where to get connected to the Lord, to be forgiven of your sins and be in his presence, you had to make a journey to the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, once you got to the temple, you could, almost everybody had access to the courts, right? And that's what he's saying. Just to be in your courts is a great thing. Now, if you're, if you're making a sacrifice, you go a little deeper in the temple. If you're a priest, you go a little deeper. And if, man, you are the chief priest, you get to go to the Holy of Holies and really actually converse with God. But that system was really distant and it was difficult to be connected with God. And think about it. If that's what's going on, if that's your system, then, man, as soon as you leave the temple, and you only usually went about once a year if you live pretty far away, so as soon as you're leaving and you're out there in the parking lot of the temple and there's camels going by and donkeys, you probably sin three or four times right there in the parking lot. And now you got to, because it's like happens around here. I know y'all get all churched up and you go out there and somebody cuts you off and then it's a long line at Ranch Road 12 and you have evil thoughts. And you know, isn't it good that you don't have to zip back over here to the church and ask for forgiveness for those? Because we're in a new system. But that's what was going on there. And he's saying, man, I yearn, I long to be back in your presence or be back connected to you. And thankfully for us, that system has changed. But that yearning should still be just as strong to be in the presence of God. See, Jesus himself, when he came, he came to be present among us. And then he, he left the Holy Spirit to be present with us always. And the word is here for us to hold on to. In John chapter 1, it's described this way, that Jesus himself, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelling there is literally the same word that's translated share a tent, be in a tent together. Now, I don't know if you've done much camping or you know much about tents, but one of the hallmarks of a tent is that there are no interior walls. Some of you are like, well, you haven't seen the Mac Daddy tent. I just got a, I know, but you probably so. But for thousands of years, tents just had exterior, no interior walls because there was no boundaries and no borders. And that's what Jesus is saying. I came so that we could have this connection. You don't have to go to a temple. There's not some holy of holy place that only special people can get to. You all have access. And then even in his time on earth, it was, it was a period. But he said to his disciples a little later on in John, he said, I've got to go. John 16, 7, very truly I tell you, for it is for your good that I'm going away, because unless I go, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. The Holy Spirit is here. He is present. And we have access to God at any point, at any time, anywhere. Which makes me have to ask myself the question, am I taking advantage? Am I aware of? Am I enjoying the presence of God in my life on a consistent basis? You know, there are times when I think to myself, man, I wish our kids would call and tell us what they got going on or what they're doing or where they're at right now. And uh, I wish that they would FaceTime us so we could see them. And uh, I think to myself, man, you know, really, that's kind of what this is getting at with God. You know, it's like, well, hey, I bet he would love to hang out with me more. Am I doing enough? Am I spending enough time with his presence? I'm taking advantage of that incredible opportunity. Like this psalmist in 84, man, he is yearning for that. He is longing for that. He wants that connection, that presence with the Lord. It says uh, three times in, in this Psalm 84, blessed is, and each time it's a further description or illustration of the fact that the person who is blessed is the person who is in the presence of the Lord. And one time it says in the presence of the Lord praising him. One says it's in the presence of the Lord being strengthened by him. And one time it says in the presence of the Lord trusting in him. 
but blessing is being in the presence of the Lord. Have you ever, uh, you haven't, I don't know why I was going to ask you that hypothetically. I did. Last night, I, uh, I asked Christina how to get on Instagram and look up, uh, so I looked up pound blessed, right, on the, on the thing, right? Hashtag, hashtag blessed. I looked up hashtag blessed. All right. But just for the record, I pushed the pound key and put blessed in there. And uh, there were 143 million posts, whatever these are, pictures that popped up. And they are all of people, pretty people in pretty places celebrating the amazing way that, you know, they have material possessions that are a blessing to them. That's not God's idea of blessing. All right, blessed is being in his presence. It won't always look pretty and it won't always be post-worthy, but it's good and is peaceful. So the, the first thing is this longing for his presence. The second thing we learn from this psalmist in verses three and four is that there is a power to home. He says, even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house they are ever praising you. We are wired to be drawn to home because ultimately God intends for us to spend eternity in his home with him in heaven. And that's what we're drawn to. But it's okay. It's okay that we have places here on earth that feel like home and that we try to make feel a little bit safe and supportive and encouraging. We need to do that. Matter of fact, I mean, just because we don't have to go to Jerusalem, we don't have to go to a temple, doesn't mean we don't have holy places. But God is wherever we want, whenever we want, in our presence. Some of us, man, some of us connect to God in this building. This, this is the place. Sunday mornings, I come, I feel his presence and the worship and the hanging out with the people. Some of us hang out with the same people in community group and get his presence there. My mentor, man, back in the day, I was in my 20s and he was in his 60s, almost 70. And he always wanted to go hiking. And I always thought to myself, if he keels over, am I going to be able to carry him out of wherever we're hiking? but he was in better shape than me. There was no fear of that. Sometimes we'd go to high mountains and he would stop and he'd say, this is it. This is it. It's a holy place. I feel the presence of the Lord. Let's stop right here. And sometimes it'd be in a valley. It'd be down by a spring and he'd stop there. But he found his holy place in nature. I don't, it doesn't matter where, but find that place where you experience the presence of God. And how cool would it be if that place for you was home? If you created a home that allowed that to happen a physical place, because I'll tell you this, people without a home, their life looks very different. Without walls and a physical structure and safety around them. So if you've ever been you know, encouraged to, to be in a ministry that, that, that dealt with orphans and helped kids who don't have a home or homeless people who don't have a shelter and you spend time understanding what it does to them emotionally and psychologically and ultimately spiritually when they don't have that safe place of encouragement. If you have a home, thank the Lord for that. What's it mean to us? What's, what is home? Well, home is that place, man, where you feel accepted and you feel loved and encouraged and supported, held accountable when you need to be. We need those places. We need our houses to look like that. Another guy writing another Psalm 127, he actually describes the best way to do home is this. Unless the Lord builds a home, the work of the builder is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. If you want to create a home that is winsome and attractive, that people want to be a part of, where they feel safe, like Ken and Yvette did for all of those boys, then you need to build that house on the Lord, 
on his word, on his truth, on the rock of that, on prayer. So that his presence is what people feel when they come. So home is a big deal. I've, I, I ran into at least two different people, I think maybe three, in the last few weeks who have sold their home because the uh, market was so good in, in the last year. Some, one of them a year and a half ago. The market was good. They sold their home. and they got. The, but they've been living nomadically because they kind of thought, well, you know what? The market's going to come back down. And when it does, we'll get back in and we'll buy a house. And they, they, they've been... It's kind of one of them living in a, you know, a van that was converted and one of them's living in an apartment. And, and they all told the same story about how uh, much they missed that home. Like they missed that place where they could do hospitality, where they could love on people, where they felt their, they had their stuff and they felt safe. That's because we're wired for home. We're wired for that. So if we keep following along here in Psalm 84, verses five through seven, talk about this third thing. So the presence of God, the, the, the place we call home, and then this pilgrimage to him. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. So there's parallel things. The, the actual literal thing that's going on is he's talking about the journey from wherever he was or his people were, his friends were, through this valley to get to Jerusalem uh, and, and to the temple. But for us, you know, again, we don't have to go anywhere for the presence of God. So for us, this is, this is a metaphor for our need to do a journey, a spiritual pilgrimage to discipleship, to grow deeper and closer to the Lord. And it tells us a few things. The first thing it tells us is, where are you going to set your compass and head? And I will tell you that if you allow the world to tell you how to set your compass, it's going to tell you that what you should do on your journey in your life is you should seek self-awareness, self-discovery, self-identification, and self-expression in every form of those you can imagine. And I will also tell you that if that's where you set your compass, you are in for a bumpy ride that will not produce joy, not produce peace, and not bring you closer to the Lord. However, if as this guy says, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. If you set the highway of your heart toward a compass that is for God understanding, God exploration, God identification, and God expression, your life is going to look drastically different. And the level of peace and joy you will experience will surpass anything that you could possibly imagine, regardless of whether you're on the mountaintop or you're in the valley. You're in a great spot or you're in a really tough spot. Whichever path you choose, you need to understand that you will go through valleys. There is no superhighway over the valley. You can pray that. You can ask for that. People have been doing that for generations and centuries. Lord, remove this obstacle. Help me fly over this valley. I don't want to go. But like it says here, as they pass through the valley, we were designed to go through some valleys. But the good news is if we're headed toward God, what you will find along the way are springs. You will find places of refreshing. What do those look like? Well, man, those may look like just the right word of encouragement at the right time. Those may look like friends that are constantly there praying for you and in your corner. That may look like a home or a safe spot that you can go back to. That may take all kinds of forms, but those springs will come just when you need them. Corey Tinboom was uh, in the Nazi concentration camps, 
and um, she was anxious, and she was talking to her dad, and, and, and uh, she said, you know, I, I'm, I'm so scared, I'm so anxious, and, and her dad said, you know, God will provide, and she said, well, why hasn't he provided? And her dad said, you know how when we go on a trip, like say when we go to Amsterdam, when do I give you the ticket for the, for the train? And she said, right before we get on the train. He said, that's right, because that's when you need it. He said, the Lord will do the same for you. If you don't believe that, talk to people who have been through difficult things. Talk to Ben over there and his family. Ask him if the Lord doesn't show up right when you need him to. It may be later than you wanted it to and later than you prayed for, but right when you need it, he shows up. And anybody that's been on this journey for very long will give you a similar testimony. His presence is always there and he will give you the spring you need to refresh you to keep walking when you need it. They go from strength to strength. We're on a journey. Um, we'll just kind of go uh, toward what all of this means. So when you put it together and you go back through those things that we're looking at every Psalm to talk about, the first thing that I get about God from this is that our ultimate home and only lasting comfort is with him. That's what it's trying to tell us about God, that his presence in our lives is our lasting comfort. That is our place. You're not going to find that in your own self-exploration. What I learned about myself is that, you know, I, I try to create comfort for myself separate from God. And when I do, the journey overwhelms me. I, there are so many times in a day when I make choices that are for my comfort or for my good that don't ask the question, well, what would God want in this moment? Well, I'll tell you what I would want in this moment, and that's what I go for. But by doing that, I'm robbed of maybe sharing some of the things that I need to to create pools and help for the people around me. I want to be more of that going forward. I, I'm a counselor. You guys may know that, uh, which is cool. It means I get to walk alongside people in their journey. And uh, that's part of why I did it. I'm, I'm a junkie for people's stories, their life stories, and what's going on in those. And uh, very few people come to me and pay me money when they're on the mountaintop and things are going great just to tell me about it. They just don't. Man, I was hanging out in the holy place. God was present in my life. I just wanted to come spend $125 and tell you all about it. Um, doesn't happen that way. Usually it's when people are in a valley or in a tough spot that they come talk to a counselor. And that's because we need each other, you guys. We need each other on this journey. And so aspiring is choosing to follow his way and not my way. You're at a fork in the road. We all are every day, every moment. Are we going to choose to walk toward God and his plan and his path and his presence? Or are we going to do what we want, what we think is good for us and self-gratifying in the moment? Now, man, that's not a real appealing message. I get it. Because it'd be really nice if those things lined up. You know, like, I really want a nice new car. And I've heard God say that I should have a nice new car. <laughs> like, that's great when that lines up. Doesn't always, though. We're on this journey. So the last part of Psalm 84 actually says this, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. There's our word dwell again. Who are you going to share a tent with? The world, the enemy, self-gratification, or would you rather just even hang out on the doorstep of God's tent so that you're closer to him? It goes on to say in verses 11 and 12, for the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts 
in you. The thing about pilgrimage is it requires a walk. It requires you to take steps. I was talking to a guy earlier this week about Solomon, and he was so disappointed after studying the life of Solomon because he said he was supposed to be the wisest man that ever lived, but he made all these stupid decisions. He married a whole bunch of women. He went to, marrying one woman is a good thing. One at a time. He did like 900. I don't know how the wisest person in the world in that all equate. I don't get it. I can't translate that. But I can tell you this, that having wisdom and walking in God's ways are two different things. And if you got to choose, be dumb and walk in toward God as opposed to being wise and not. Walks are important and where we're headed and where we're walking is a big deal. I convinced Christina a few years back to go uh, on this hike, the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. Have you ever heard of this? It's in Peru, and uh, it's up in the mountains, and it's really high elevation. There's not much air. And I said, let's do this. It's going to be great for our marriage. We're going to journey together. It'll be a metaphor for what God's doing in our lives. And she said, I don't think any of that is true. Uh, she said, but I will do it if that's really what you want to do. I said, all right. I said, well, we should probably train and get ourselves ready. And she's like, I'm a D1 college athlete. I don't need to train to go walking somewhere. I'm like, all right, I'm just telling you what the people sent us, you know. And so we showed up there. And so for four and a half days, we're walking up and down these mountains. And uh, I mean, we're at 8,000 feet. Then we're at 14,000 feet. And then we're back down. And so that's some pictures of our trip. Uh, there's our tent above the clouds. Uh, there's us at the start smiling. Um, that in the middle there is not Christina worshiping. That's actually late in the trip where she's saying, why did I marry this guy of all guys? Uh, that's the tent that she had to go to the bathroom in on a five-gallon little bucket. So we get to the end, and it's like only a couple hours left, and we're almost there, man. We're about to crest this hill, and Machu Picchu is going to be there, and it's going to be beautiful. And I said, babe, listen, you are going to feel tremendous relief. You are going to be so excited to be there. But I have to tell you one thing. She said, what? I said, there's going to be people there that smell way better than us, like they showered, you know, and like there's going to be people that look nicer because they slept in a bed last night. And uh, she said, why? How? What? And I'm like, well, they took a train to get up here. She was like, that was a train to get up here? I was like, yeah, but they didn't experience what we experienced. You know, they didn't have what we had. And she said, whatever, dude, I, don't, I just want to be done. I'm not going to care about those people. I'm like, I'm a psychologist and I kind of know you, but okay, if you say so. So we get down there and we're walking along. And sure enough, the second little bopping person that bumped into her and goes, sorry, I'm just so excited we made it here. And Christina's like, oh, you didn't make it here. A train guy brought you here. I made it here. See that? Now I came over that and then you, I made it. I'm like, hey, get it. Just go to the snack bar and get a Dr. Pepper. It's been a long time. So telling you all that is an illustration of something that I think matters to us in this passage. And that is on this journey that we're on, it's pretty easy to look around sometimes and see other people that have it better. It's easy to look around and see other people who haven't gone through as deep a valley or maybe spend more time on the mountain, or seem to be more blessed in social media terms. I'm telling you right now, don't do that. Just don't. You're on your own journey, and what, what you're going through with the Lord is your story, and your story is yours alone, and it is unique, and it is beautiful, and it is precious, and it is sad, and it is scary, 
and it is exciting, and it is thrilling, and it is your story and your journey. Don't rob yourself by looking around at other people and wanting their story or their journey. Because I'll tell you, the other thing about being a counselor is you find out that a lot of those people that look really pretty on the outside, their story is way worse than you think. And they got a lot of stuff going on too. So wall your journey and look around for other people and try to figure out how to be springs and pools for them. Because we end up with a choice. And uh, yeah, it kind of plays out in this metaphor that Jesus describes in Matthew. We'll wrap up with this. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And then he contrasts it to everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice because they're like foolish men who built their house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. You are at a fork in the road in your journey. You can either move toward God and what he wants and build on his word and build on that rock or you can move toward what you want and what the world wants for you, what the enemy wants for you and that sand that will ultimately crash. Choose wisely. Choose today. Choose his presence. I had uh, Friday, um, man, we found out that, that one of our best friends, my buddy Dave, um, he, he passed away, 52 years old. Um, when we moved to Georgia, he, he was my guy. Man, he, he lived beside us. We raised our kids together. He encouraged me when I would walk over there and say, my wife is driving me. He'd be, he said, get back over there. You have the greatest wife in the world. Um, you need a friend like that. You don't need one that says, you know what? I saw that too. Run away from those people. <laughs> Dave was not that person, man. And uh, golly, he loved people well. He helped us raise our kids. Um, he... Uh, he, man, about 12 years ago, gave up everything, sold everything, took his family to, to Africa and um, ran a ministry over there for kids and camps and um, material stuff didn't matter to him. Um, I, it breaks my heart that he's gone. And yet uh, I'm excited because his pilgrimage is finished. He's home. Y'all, we're, we're all going to be home someday. While we're here, while we're journeying, Let's do it together. Let's encourage each other. Let's love each other well. Let's stay faithful. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you're present, not because we're at church, but because two or more are gathered, you guarantee us, but because you love us and you're with each one of us when we're by ourselves. So, Lord, I pray that we would experience your presence in a fresh way. I pray that we would make choices that are in line with your desire for our life, that we would submit ourselves to you, and that we would just feel the peace and joy that comes from that. From those who are hurting here who don't have a home right now, I pray specifically for them to find that place of rest and safety. For those here who just feel lost and anxious and depressed. I pray, Lord, that they would take the bold step to walk back there and ask someone to pray for them. Pray they would seek counsel. Pray that they would seek godly people who would point them back to you.
Lord, we love the journey you have us on. I pray that we would be faithful. We would be a people who pursue you above all else. I thank you that we're not alone. We yearn and long for something greater, Lord, something bigger, and that's you. Pray this all in Jesus' name.